Blog Talk Radio. Welcome to Mind Shifters Radio with the Forgiveness Doctor, Dr. Michael Rice. I'm Jeannie Rice, your co-host. We also have co-hosts Dr. Tim Hayes and Michelle Pichet. We will share with you the wisdom of the first century Aramaic internal process of forgiveness. We offer tools and support five days a week. We will support you in building a solid foundation within yourself to live in pure love in Aramaic, Brachna. Michael is the author of the book, Why Is This Happening to Me Again? For more information about the forgiveness process, please visit www.whyagain.org. And now, welcome to the show, Mind Shifters Radio. Hello and welcome to Mind Shifters Radio. I'm Tim Hayes. I'm your host for the first hour, and today is Friday, September 15th, 2023. As always, we're grateful to everyone who's joining us here today, whether you're listening live or through the archives. As we spend another couple of hours teaching and supporting people in using some of the most powerful, effective, efficient, and accessible tools I've ever encountered. These tools are available absolutely free through the tireless efforts of Dr. Michael and Jeannie Rice on the website at whyagain.org. If you go to that webpage and click on the two words that say start here in the upper left-hand corner, it will take you to a page where you can download and read Chapter 24 of Dr. Michael Rice's book, His book is titled, Why Is This Happening to Me Again? And that chapter of that book contains a narrative description and explanation of the primary tool in this work. That tool is called the Reality Management Worksheet, sometimes called the Reality Management Wake-Up Sheet. And it's a tool I've been using to great effect for 19 years to improve the quality of my life and most of my relationships and to turn any negative emotional experience I have into part of the infallible guidance system that each and every one of us has been given. You can also download the actual worksheet process itself. It's a simple PDF file. Click the link, download it, print it off, copy it as often as you'd like, and use it over and over again absolutely free. You can also go to your app store and type in the three words, Heartland Aramaic Forgiveness, And if you do that, before you're done typing the word forgiveness, you'll see the glowing heart icon. If you choose to tap on it, it will download a completely free and private app that contains the Reality Management Worksheet. It contains an abbreviated version of that worksheet process. And it contains a copy of the Dragon Klingon game, which is a wonderful way to introduce these tools to even younger audiences. And we appreciate it. We like it when people do that soon and often because primarily it tends to improve the quality of people's lives the more they actively apply these tools in their lives. And secondarily, it tends to prompt comments, questions, answers, and testimonials. And if you have any of those to share with us, please do give us a call at 563-999-3581. If you call that number and press 1 on your phone, it'll put the little icon of a hand by your phone number. I'll turn on the microphone and announce you by your area code. 
are grateful when people choose to do that, either by calling directly or emailing. You can email tjh at mindshifters-academy.org, or you can email genie at j-e-a-n-i-e at whyagain.org. That's w-h-y-a-g-a-i-n dot o-r-g. And... If we get a comment or a question or a testimonial from you, we'll address it on the Internet show. And then, as time allows, get back to you and let you know what day and time that occurred so you can listen to the archives for the feedback. And we appreciate when people do that because it makes it easier for us to live into our intention with this work. The intention with this work is to be a service. And that's just a whole lot easier to do when we get direct feedback from you about what's working, what's landing, what's making sense, etc. We had our support group last night. We have support groups that we offer for free on Tuesdays and Thursdays. You can donate if you have the money, but the payment is not required. And all the information about joining us in those groups is available on the MindShiftersAcademy.org website. And... Last night we had somebody who's never been to a group before join us, and we had somebody who chose to do a worksheet, and we listened to some of a Guy Finley lecture, so it was the the full experience last night, a well-rounded reality management worksheet process, lecture from Guy Finley, discussion among group members, and, um, and that happens very consistently on Tuesdays and Thursday nights. If you're interested, if it would be of value to you, please let us know. And join us or pass the information along to somebody you think might benefit. It's all available through the MindShiftersAcademy.org website. So we have plenty of time for comments, questions, answers, testimonials, discussion. Uh, feedback about what was happening on the show yesterday, feedback or questions about anything that we've done in the past 12 and a half years on this show, on this, what we now call a podcast, but when we first started it was so long ago it was just called an internet radio show. So let us know how we can be of service. Let us know what's of interest to you to moving forward. I was mentioning yesterday that I've had some strong urges to go back and start reading through the way of mastery again. And I got one person said, do whatever you want. Another person said, yeah, I really like the way of mastery. So, so we'll sit with that for a bit and decide if if it's the appropriate thing to do and, and when to start and with, with what format. If we keep the same format as we had last year when we went through it, um, or if we adjust the format a little bit. Uh, someone was mentioning that um, they've been working with. Um, much as Susan Bingham was saying yesterday or the day before, that she'd been working with the uh, Course in Miracles since it came out in the late 60s. 
and um, there are people who find resonance with the Course in Miracles, and they don't find resonance with the way of mastery. And um, you know, in, in part, I think that is some of the the beauty and the mystery of us as humans, and all these different sparks of consciousness that each of us look at the world through a different lens and from a different perspective. And when I look at the way of mastery, I see, you know, almost complete resonance with the message of the Course in Miracles and the uh, definition of forgiveness and the process of dismantling false perceptions. And yet, other people don't. They don't see that same resonance, or they don't feel that it's the same message. Just highlights that each of us is constructing our own reality. It's constru- our perceptual process is not passive. Perception, as the uh, CIA website lets us know, perception does not record reality. Our perception constructs reality, and it does so based on our personal preferences and past experiences and trauma energies and beliefs that we cling to, etc. So, um, Awareness of that, and in in my particular case, awareness of that coupled with the observation that the best use of any negative emotion in my system is to create a literal alarm system within my mind-body energy system and let my negative emotional states help me see that I'm in error. My thoughts are off the mark. What do I do then? Well, that's a big challenge for those of us in the Western world because we're we're trained to believe that our thought process, our conscious, logical, figure-it-out part of our mind is how we're supposed to get through the world. It is our master. It is job one, to quote the Ford advertisement. So now what do I do? If if the thing I've been trained to use, the conscious, logical mind, the figure-it-out part of my mind, is... Is, is seen by me as being in error, then what do I do? What else is there? Well, for a lot of us, there isn't anything else. For a lot of us, we haven't been trained to tap into insight, intuition, inspiration, the flow of creativity. We haven't been trained that there's something we can surrender to other than anger or fear. And so we don't know what else to do. The good news is there is just a whole other part of us, as Einstein would give us the idea that we've been given a precious gift, which is this 
intuitive mind, this connection to the creative, inspiration, intuition, flow of life, creativity, Akashic Records, whatever you want to call it, right? The idea is we have a way to get input that doesn't come through the conscious logical. It comes in a flash. It comes in between moments, between breaths. And we've been given this conscious logical mind, which was intended to be a faithful servant, not, not supposed to be our master. So when we get the indication from the world around us or our efforts to do things that you know, go awry and nothing we seem to think about or try works, then we can say, okay, now it's time to tap into another source. What would that be? I have no idea. It's not something I can think about. It's something I can ask to be shown. It's something I can relax into. But it isn't something I'm going to figure out. Right? There are times in our lives when there is so much going on, there are more demands on our time and resources than there are time and resources within us. And when that happens, if I'm relying on my conscious logical mind to sort it out and come up with all the answers, I'm going to be woefully lacking in solutions, in satisfaction. I'm going to be a mess because... The fact of the matter is there isn't enough time to do everything my mind is telling me I need to do. Which is where the wonderful gift of the Reality Management Worksheet comes into play. The ancient Aramaic process of forgiveness that says, look, when I'm feeling upset, when I'm reaching a negative conclusion about myself or somebody else, it's an indication that my process is in error. My thought process itself is off the mark. So rather than continuing to engage that process, which is off the mark, which is creating and then maintaining my upset, I need to do something else. And blessedly in each reality management worksheet, it asks us to cancel our need to be right cancel whatever goal we have in that particular worksheet process, put the conscious logical mind aside for now, and ask for help from outside the conscious logical mind for something other than that figure-it-out part of my brain. Ask for help in seeing what is my, my thought process actually doing here to create my pain? What is it I need to see to release, to let go, to begin to heal and move forward from this moment. And if I get into the practice of doing that, I can develop a skill set. I can develop a set of resources that I was never taught about from the conscious logical mind. I was never taught about in school. I was never taught about in most churches. And each one of us has access to that wisdom, that insight, that intuition, that inspiration. Despite the fact that we haven't been taught about it, it's still there. It may take a while to practice, to revive it from dormancy where it's lying 
latent within us. Dr. Michael Rice has got a whole talk he does about the Beatitudes and the Beatitudes come from the Sermon on the Mount and the Beatitudes talk about blessed are the meek. You know. And um, I I have a, um, 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 for a lot of years, when I was raised Catholic and we would hear about that, none of it ever made sense to me. Blessed are the poor in spirit. You know, how's this great spiritual teacher telling people they should be poor in their spirit? Something was off, and I knew it from a young age. And I would, you know, ask questions about it. In, in school and get reprimanded. You know, you shouldn't be questioning this. This is beyond your understanding. Just accept it. This is the truth. Well, fortunately, people like people who've researched the ancient Aramaic and um, several of these people have written various uh, interpretive texts their names will come to me. But for now, the first one that I met and actually had some common sense talk to make to sort this out was Dr. Michael Rice and the, the work that came from the Kaboris Foundation that he was a director of, where they were working to translate the oldest known copy of the New Testament directly from the Aramaic into English. And then the next time I came across it was the gentleman who channeled the way of mastery. His name is um, John Mark Hammer, and now he goes by the name J.M. And he put out a DVD where he has an interpretation of the Beatitudes. And it makes a whole heck of a lot more sense, especially when I combine the knowledge that comes from people like Dale Allen Hoffman and Dr. Michael Rice and J.M.'s work. And, and I put it together because, oh, well, not only does it make sense, here's a different translation, here's some sense about how they could have gotten so off the mark as to say, blessed are the poor in spirit in the English translation. Well, Dr. Michael Rice says, guess what? The word home and the word poor in the ancient Aramaic are almost exactly the same word. There's this little dot or chittle that happens on the page that transforms the word home into the word poor or vice versa. And so one way that we can understand that that translation might have been corrupted or misleading is that what they were really trying to make sense of was that the original teaching said, blessed are those who make their home in their spiritual world, in their spiritual life. Well, that makes more sense coming from a spiritual teacher. And then another way that it may have been misinterpreted is that the the meaning for the word poor 
was more often the sense of being wide open, right? So the idea of cancel everything you think you want and open yourself to be shown how what you already have is good and going to lead you to something better, or it's nowhere near as bad as you think it is. So stay open to be taught. Stay inquisitive. Live in observation rather than belief. So just in the first beatitude, when you start to open and you go back to the original sources in the Aramaic and some of the what Michael Rice would call the idioms and the colloquialisms of the time, and you understand, you realize, oh, this isn't some kind of religious proclamation telling people to just subjugate themselves. This is a set of steps we can take, including keeping your breath open, including asking to be shown rather than thinking you know it all. And when you take these steps, when you ask to be shown, when you keep your breath moving and you soften and open to be shown a different perspective, you benefit in ways that words can't describe. You, you usher yourself into an experience that you, it can't be talked about. And so, you know, combining a few of these things, over the years we had uh, Michael Rice come and talk about the Beatitudes and um, we've had uh, Dale Allen Hoffman come into town and give a talk where he talks about the Beatitudes at different levels and we've had the DVD from J.M., um, I've rolled a few of these together over the years. I've had um, taken the time to uh, transcribe from J.M.'s DVD about the Beatitudes. And so I'm going to share this, the first Beatitude from the ancient Aramaic, uh, from the uh, King James Version of the Bible says, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. And and J.M., with his knowledge of the ancient Aramaic and his inspiration from channeling the the way of mastery, he offers this interpretation. Now, in this very moment, each new present moment, now is the perfect time, the ripe time. How, when is a piece of fruit ripe? Only in one moment is it perfectly ripe. Now is that time to make your home in the breathing unity. In other words, breathe and soften and open yourself to the felt sense of your life in this moment. And when you ask to be shown in that moment the fertile soil of the queendom, feminine, 
um, gendering, not meaning um, breasts and female genitalia, but meaning this in this internal sense of feeling that's not like the physical senses. It's the knowing, it's a deep knowing, it's the interpretation at that energetic, emotional wisdom level. The fertile soil of the queendom will birth your clear guidance. So in talking about that, James said, whenever you're feeling anything unlike that calm, centered, loving feeling, now is the time to make your home in the breath. Breathe deeply. Feel whatever's coming up. Ask to be shown and let your guidance come from inside yourself and this welling up of this intelligence and wisdom. The second beatitude from the King James Version said, Blessed are they that mourn, for they shall be comforted. The interpretation offered by J.M. is, when you are restored by breathing and allowing your pain to surface, you shall touch the place where love carries you to greater wholeness. So when you start to feel upset, breathe, soften, get out of the mental figure-it-out part of your mind, get into the felt sense of the body and these ethereal energies moving through you, and ask to be shown then you continue to breathe and soften and you will be restored as you allow your inner pain to surface. Don't push it down. Don't run away from it. Don't numb it out. And you'll touch a place within you where the source of your creation, love itself, the energy of creation, carries you to a greater wholeness. The third beatitude says, Blessed are the meek for they shall inherit the earth. That's the King James Version. Yam's interpretation offers, once we've made soft what was rigid within by breathing and being willing to feel it and letting our pain surface, once we do that, a new ripeness shall bring renewed inspiration, a new ability to be present to all of these energies in the moment and let them inform our perception. Let them provide guidance from the fertile soil of the queendom itself. And when that happens, confident strength will flow through us. So, the first three Beatitudes are not some religious prescription. They are saying, when you're feeling out of sorts, when you're feeling sad, angry, upset, breathe. Make your home in the breath. Bring the focus of your awareness into your breath and the energy of life and creation that's moving through you that's animated through the breath in ways we don't even fully understand with our conscious logical minds. And then as we do that and we soften and let our inner pain come to the surface without running away from it, without trying to numb it out, without trying to blame it on others, our true source, 
the source of the creative energy that some call love, will carry us to a greater wholeness. And if we keep doing that, we keep breathing, we allow the places within us to soften, we allow the rigid places within us to soften, we let go of our beliefs and our need to be right and let ourselves be shown and moved in the moment, a new ripeness, a new openness to life in the moment will bring a renewed inspiration and confident strength will move through us, giving us insight, intuition, inspiration. Those are the first three Beatitudes from J.M.'s interpretation. Dale Ellen Hoffman uses those and has read them and has read, you know, a, a variety of different people who work with Aramaic translations. He's learned some of the language himself. And he says in his work, look, this is like a yogic practice. It's not some religious belief system. And the way Dale Ellen Hoffman summarizes the first three Beatitudes that I just read, he summarizes them as, when you're feeling upset, breathe, breathe deeply, focus on your breath, allow the breath, feel fully whatever is coming up in you as you keep your breath moving. That's the second step. Feel it fully. Allow these things to come to the surface. And the third step is let it flow through you. Breathe, step one, breathe. Step two, feel it fully. Release any tightness or tension that might want to squelch that feeling or numb it out or distract from it. Breathe, feel it fully, and release it and let it go. Keep the breath moving and allow a softening, allow an observing to move through you. Breathe, feel it, and let it go. So I'm inclined to stop there and ask. I can read through the rest of these Beatitudes, but I can also ask for input or questions to clarify. When I'm upset, what, what, one of the key things I've learned from this work is that whenever I'm upset, whenever I judge that the flow of life, as I'm witnessing it happening around me, is bad or wrong or shouldn't be happening, and in response to it I create anger, fear, sadness, hurt, tension, whatever, physical ache or pain or whatever, the very best thing I can do is stop and breathe and soften and ask to be shown not some answer how to make it all go away, but a, ask to be shown a way to look at the situation differently. Outside of what my conscious logical mind is going to offer up for me because my conscious mind is already telling me this is bad, this is wrong, life shouldn't be this way, etc. But life is just unfolding. 
And when I resist the unfolding of life, I create suffering on top of my pain. So can I ask to be shown a different way to look at things? Dr. Michael Rice has a a lecture. It's one of the shorter lectures. It's an old uh, piece he did on the um, Course in Miracles in his DVD collection. He has one that's titled um, Course in Miracles um, Introduction with Advanced Understanding. And then he has another one called a new beginning. And in that lecture, I think it's only about an hour and 20 minutes instead of a full two hours, he talks about lessons from the Course in Miracles that have some really deep understanding of human psychology. And they say there, you know, we get it. We know that human beings have been conditioned in such a way that they... They really don't want to admit they're wrong. And so the Course in Miracles understands differently than what Michael Rice says, Michael Rice says right in his uh, Reality Management Worksheet. If I'm in pain, my thoughts are in error, right? I'm wrong. I'm wrong. I'm in error. Well, the Course in Miracles in this lesson, The New Beginning, says we get it. It's almost impossible for human beings who've been conditioned in a certain way to admit they're wrong. So we're not going to ask you to admit you're wrong. We're just going to suggest that whenever you're in pain or upset or things don't seem like they're going the way you want, that that you could start with acknowledging that you don't like how it feels. Just start there. When I have anger, when I have fear... When I have emotional pain, upset, can I at least admit I don't like how this feels? And if I can get to that point, then maybe I can try asking or making the statement, boy, I sure hope there's another way to look at this. Not, oh, there must be and I'm going to figure it out. Just just this much. I hope there's another way to look at this. There's great wisdom in the way this is stated. It's not telling me there's got to be a better way. Let me figure it out. It's telling me I just have a hope. I have a hope. And that opens me to questioning, to allowing, to be to being shown. So it says, look, you know, in that lesson, hey, let's let's find a way to uh, have a different experience of life. So get up in the morning and decide what you want. Decide the kind of day you want. You want a day where there's loving compassion and there's understanding and clear communication and respect. And So that's what you want out of your day and the people that you interact with. And it says, when you wake up and you decide what kind of day you want, then go about in your life giving that away to everyone and everything you interact with. So you get up and you say, I want a loving, respectful, effective communication. Then you go out into the world being loving, respectful, and 
doing everything you can to make your communications honest, open, and effective. And then it says, here's another really good idea. Make, a, make the decision, you know, make the commitment that you will not make any decisions by yourself today. That you will ask to be shown from some higher sense than your conscious logical mind can muster. And so having decided that you will make no decisions by yourself and having decided that you want this loving, respectful, joyful day, whatever the qualities are you've decided, when you start off in your day and anything unlike what you wanted shows up, just know in that moment you've begun making decisions on your own. You've judged this is bad or wrong. You've said you don't have to keep offering the loving, respectful offering or behavior that you started because you justify being different because so-and-so was bad or wrong. So just cancel what you are thinking and what you say you want. Ask, gee, I sure hope there's a different way to look at this because the way I'm looking at it right now, it seems like I'm in pain and my pain is just going to continue for infinity because the world is wrong and this shouldn't be happening and there's no way out of this. That's a new beginning. Now, I didn't say I'm wrong. Of course, in Miracle says, we know that may be too much to ask you to admit you're wrong. But you can start by admitting that you don't like the sensations of the anger and the pain and the fear and the hopelessness and then once you've acknowledged that you don't like how you're feeling, you might be able to say, gee, I hope there's a different way to look at this. Well, that's exactly what they're suggesting you do from a very practical exercise standpoint with the Beatitudes. When you start feeling something you don't like, breathe, feel it fully, release it, and let it go. Wake up and realize that if you have any pain, any fear, any sadness, any guilt, any shame, any negative emotional state, it means this is the, the ripe time in this moment to focus on your breathing, to ask to be shown something your conscious, logical mind can't show you. How do you know it can't show you? Because if it could, it would have done it already. I say to people when they come into my office, my assumption when you come in this room is that you're not sick, you're not crazy, you're not stupid, you're not lazy, and you don't enjoy pain. I'm willing to be proven wrong. Maybe some of those things are happening. Maybe you're one of the unique individuals who's really sick, really crazy, really stupid, really lazy, or enjoys pain, but I've never met that person. So I begin with that assumption, and then I understand, okay, so what this means is everything they're doing when they come into my office that they say, oh, I'm doing this, 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 and this, and I hate it, and I want to change. But everything they're doing, they've got a really good reason for doing. That means their conscious, logical mind at some level is actively 
convincing them to do the very things, to create the very emotions and reactions to life that they're coming to me to say, help me fix this, help me stop this. So hopefully we can get them to agree to stop doing what they're doing instead of relying on the conscious logical mind and having the negative thoughts banter, batter them around day in and day out, maybe we can get them to take a breath, soften, turn their focus inside, read the pain, the fear, the sadness that's coming up in them, allow it to be there without trying to change it, and just keep the breath moving and ask to be shown some kind of a guidance that comes from some place other than their conscious logical mind. In this Beatitude interpretation from J.M., they call it the fertile soil of the queendom will birth your clear guidance. My mind just says something other than my conscious logical mind will give me insight, intuition, inspiration if I just ask to be shown. So, in lieu of a hand coming up, I'll go on to the fourth beatitude. The fourth beatitude in the King James Version reads, Blessed are they who do hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be filled. And the interpretation that comes from J.M. is, Once people do these first three steps, they breathe, they make their home in the breathing unit, they bring their awareness into the breath, they ask to be comforted and shown from inside themselves, they let their pain surface without shying away from it. Once that happens, they soften what was rigid within, a new ability to feel and experience life and inspiration strengthens them, gives them a confident strength that flows through them. And when they rest in that process and they keep breathing without demanding that things change for one way or another, resting in their deeper longing, they shall feel the power of spirit. And that power will move to carry them in the direction of their true fulfillment. If I just stay with what's going on within me, I give up my need to be right and say this is bad or wrong, this shouldn't be happening. I let these energies flow through me. I ask to be taught by this flow of life and energy. I offer myself as a tool for this higher energy and wisdom, this higher integrated wisdom that spirit will move through me and give me new experiences, moving me in the direction of my true fulfillment. The fifth beatitude reads, Blessed are the merciful, from the King James Version. It says, Blessed are the merciful, for they shall obtain mercy. The new interpretation offered by J.M. is, if you do these first four steps, you keep softening and breathing, 
You allow what was rigid within you to soften. You let your pain come to the surface without running from it. You keep your breath moving and ask to be shown how to be a blessing in this moment, how to be taught by life in this moment. This deeper longing, power of spirit will start moving you in a direction where you have deeper, more connected experiences. And you will become restored in union with radiant love and it shall begin to extend from your own heart center, blessing others through that extension, through those creations. If you stay with this process, if you refuse to get into projection and blame, if you refuse to blame the world around you or beat yourself up with negative thoughts and you breathe and soften and stay connected with your heart center, it will start to radiate out from you, blessing others as it blesses you. The sixth beatitude is from the ancient, uh, from the King James Version. It's, blessed are the pure of heart, for they shall see God. And Dale Allen Hoffman says, this King James Version of that sixth beatitude, he says, this is the closest to the original Aramaic meaning. And J.M.'s offering as a, an interpretation for that is, if you keep doing this, focusing internally, letting your pain surface, soften what's rigid within you, open yourself to insight and intuition from your source, stay connected with love, it will start to radiate out from you, blessing others as it creates you will have a wisdom come upon you if you let yourself consistently be restored in this way. These flashes like lightning and the creative source will increasingly reveal itself in the depth of your soul. When you stay connected, when you stay, keep your conscious awareness connected to the magical power of life and creation extending through you that gave rise to you, that keeps you breathing, keeps your heart beating, when you refuse to get off into believing the negative thought processes that have been conditioned into you, you stay connected to that source, you will be restored in a new way. You will get flashes of insight and inspiration and the presence of the creative force within you will continually, increasingly reveal itself to you, and your life will transform in this way. The seventh beatitude is listed as from the King James Version Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called the children of God. And J.M. offers that. The interpretation is ripening in new wholeness. If people stay with this practice of breathing and softening and asking to be shown from the inside and they connect with awareness of their source as true love, they will begin to ripen into a new wholeness. They shall become as channels for new creations serving the same restoration in others.
And he says um, he's broken the last beatitude into three separate beatitudes. Because he believes it has three different threads in it. So he offers Beatitude 8 as, Blessed are they which are persecuted for righteousness' sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. That's from the King James Version. He offers a new translation, a new interpretation that says, if you do this process and stay focused inside of you without getting distracted from the outside, without blaming, without projecting onto others, without listening to your own negative self-talk, asking to be shown the roots of that trauma within you and seeing it so that it dissolves in the love that you are made of, then comes the birthing power that forces you further from your old habits. That's the idea of being persecuted, to be forced out of your old habits. That you may touch more deeply your true home in divine mystery. In other words, if you do this, it's going to stir stuff up. You're going to have doubts. It's not a question. You are going to be fearful and doubting. This is going to be all new territory. Most of us are unaware that we have an addiction to the familiar. So if you do this process, it's not going to be smooth sailing all the time. It's going to be quite the challenge to stay with the breath, even as all of this pain and fear and rigidity comes to the surface within you. But as you do, if you stay with it rather than run away from it, you will touch more deeply your true home in the divine mystery. The next beatitude from the King James Version said, Blessed are ye when men shall revile you and persecute you and shall say all manner of evil against you falsely for my sake. Doesn't sound like much fun. And this interpretation from J.M., from the ancient Aramaic knowledge, says, As you do this, you're going to be a light that shines brightly and others are going to have their darkness stirred up in your light. It's going to be revealed to them. So it says, others will project, attack with vicious words, or even separate from you because your creation from your source, from the light, threatens them. Please know they seek to divert you from your unfolding spirit because of their pain, their fear, their sadness, because of their unwillingness to see their light within them, their connection to the same light and source, because they're not willing to go through the releasing of the negativity and the trauma. So the Beatitude 10 then says, the last one says, King James Version, Rejoice and be exceedingly glad, for great is your reward in heaven, for so do they persecute the prophets which were before you. That's from King James Version. James offers this interpretation. As this happens, as people want to dump on you and attack you or even run away from you, 
resolve to increase your radiant aliveness. Don't chase after those people who would tell you to be different, who are themselves struggling with fear and pain and sadness. Resolve to increase your connection, your conscious awareness to the source of your existence and your radiant aliveness. As you do that, you will begin dissolving the last vestiges of fear as your union, your conscious awareness of your union with your source matures fully. And when that happens, all of those people who have done this process before you have awakened to their own divine purpose. They will join you. Likewise, they pass through this same final, intense, fearful learning process. So you don't need to be afraid of the psychological pain and fear. Guy Finley has a thing where he says, psychological pain and fear is not your enemy. Fear of it hides that truth from you. When you run away from something, you can't study it. You can't see it for what it truly is. So the Beatitudes as this yogic practice for addressing upset in my life tells me, yeah, when you do this, things are going to get pretty intense because you've been running from this stuff and hiding a bunch of stuff from yourself for a lot of years, if not decades. And you don't need to fear it because your truth, the truth of who you are is rock solid, always safe, completely safe and growing and expanding in each moment. It can't be hurt, chipped, dented, rusted, faded, or broken in any way. So it's safe for you to stay consciously connected to that source and the depths of your own consciousness to see the garbage that's been stored there. Breathe and soften and let it come to the surface and be dissipated by the radiance of your true nature. Some would call it love. That is my offering for today. A little bit scattered, I think, but that's what it unfolded as. I don't see any hands up. So I will remind us all that we come from love. We're made of this stuff we call love. We actually are love, and everything else is false. Uh, here, somebody popped a hand up, area code 541. You have a couple minutes. Oh, yes, just a couple minutes. Um, this is Celinda. I want to thank you for doing the Beatitudes. They were perfect. I'm having some health challenges, and I was getting, I got into quite a fear state last night. I always know because I wake up early in the morning and don't go back to sleep. <clears throat> and so I just want to thank you for that because that put me right on track again, and I shall proceed forward. <laughs> thank you, sir. All right. Well, you're entirely welcome and deserving. And I will let us know that we come from love. We're made of the stuff we call love. We actually are love. Everything else is false. And this is our second hour from uh, Michael and Jeannie 
back in 2015, a discussion of the 12 steps and this work. Thank you, sweetie, and that's the plan is to go back into the 12 steps. I'm not sure what happened to the clock yesterday. It was some kind of a time warp because I swore that probably I was speaking about the responsibility communication process for about 20 minutes, and all of a sudden the show is ringing in my ear. Oh, time's up. So we'll go back to that tomorrow, and uh, we, we may end up alternating a few more days. Who knows with the, uh, with the 12-step work, which I think is going awesomely, getting uh, – reports from several people that are really benefiting, Gail, from the input that you've got, and, uh, and Dave and Dr. Tim, just uh, lots of really powerful input and, and an overview and understanding of the parallels and the way to, uh, to put the, uh, the two sets of tools together to enlarge the toolkit. So fabulous, delighted to be here. Gail, how do you be, young lady? I am well. I am well. Thank okay. you. Wonderful. Anything new and exciting in your life? Um, nothing new and exciting to me. Well, okay, now that you mention it. Um, <laughs> last week when I was doing the, um, doing the 12 steps, Monday, Tuesday, and Wednesday, I had such a high level of vitality. And, of course, naturally by Thursday and Friday, I hit a, a healing crisis. <laughs> so that, is one, that is one new Good thing. You. Yeah, good for me. Next layer, right? <laughs> well, that's what it's all about. And, you know, it's interesting. There's a new film out there that uh, Jean and I went to see. That's how we're, uh, we're taking our intermissions from the intensity of, uh, of what we're doing here between getting set up in the house and, uh, and getting editing done. But um, we went to see, and, we, and, I, and I invite everyone who doesn't know what a healing crisis looks like or a healing process looks like to go and see the film, The Letters. And it's a, a story of the life of uh, Mother Teresa, uh, who has this experience of this super high vitality and direct communication from love, from the creator. People would call it God, whatever word you want to use. I don't think love cares what you call it. <laughs> uh, it's kind of like one of my favorite sayings is, call me anything but late for dinner. Acknowledge the presence of love in your life, and you're acknowledging the creator. So here, Mother Teresa has this call, and, you know, she's a school teacher. uh, She's a cloistered nun. And all of a sudden, she gets this direct communication, which means super high vitality, as you're talking about. And a significant part of the rest of the film, aside from, you know, giving you a pretty good window on her work and, some of the stuff she went through, some of the challenges she had, they introduce her spiritual advisor who has, and I've ordered them because they've now been published, a copy of all her letters to him. And what I realized, if you go back and you read the lives of many of the saints or the mystics, what you find is people who have this beatific experience, this full-blown white light experience to the extreme and stay in it, and then the le- rest of their lives is torture. And they, you know, they talk quite a bit in this film about Mother Teresa, who is doing this awesome, wonderful work based in love. And is, I mean, it's a really powerful space of love that she holds for things that would turn most people's stomachs. And yet, in her letters to her spiritual advisor, she's describing this torture that she's going through. 
And, of course, I've read about that sort of thing before with the mystics. And what clicked is, ah, I got it. What happens is when you get to that really, truly full-blown light experience, which is just beyond comprehension, you know, if you took the most delightful, awesome, fun, exciting, you know, sweet, wonderful experience you've ever had as a human, and then you multiplied it by the largest number you can imagine. You know, when you were kids, you played the game of all, 100 quadrillion, million, billion, zillion, quadrillion, billion. You know, if you multiplied it by that, you wouldn't touch what that experience is. So here, my Teresa has that experience, transforms her life, and then she goes into process. And because she doesn't have the tool of forgiveness, her healing crisis just goes on and on and on and on. Without the awareness of what the symptoms of healing look like, people stay in it forever. The mystics, these tortured lives, and what they're being tortured by is the content of their own carbon-based memory, their own generational patterns. That there's the vitality to start to move it, but because they don't know how to crack it open, they get stuck in it. And a lot of people have you know, rejected the mystical experience because I don't want to go into that kind of torture. And what's happening is they're stepping in with the opening and the opportunity to clean up a thousand generations of insanity that's gone before them. The hate, the fear, the rage, the guilt, the quote-unquote demons that have plagued their generations. And it just, it just was like a, a big opening for me to watch this and realize, ah, that's what the mystics are describing as being tortured. They're in a major healing crisis, and because they don't know what drives their perception that is tortured, they don't know how to collapse it and go in and clean it up. An interesting view, and uh, I was going to share that on the show at some point today, but you certainly created the opening when you talked about, you know, along about day four, you go into a major healing process. And isn't it awesome that when we do step into that, and, and I can remember times when in the early days, and I didn't really understand what was going on, and uh, a healing process would open and would go on for days. And now the same healing process or perhaps a more intense one will open, and I can be done with it in 10 minutes because I know how to do it now. I have the tools. These people didn't have first century Aramaic forgiveness, and so these things just went on forever. So it is nice to have the tools, isn't it, Yell? It is. It is, for sure. It is. And thank you for that piece as well. I mean, knowing now that, you know, even Mother Teresa, you know, dealt with this and, and suffered. Wow. So that, that helps, only, that helps a lot. We only suffer. Yeah, there's no demon that can make us suffer. What What the Greeks ended up calling demons or evil spirits is simply the mind energy of generational patterns. That's where the torture comes from. And knowing how to crack it and remove it, forgive it, is just, you know, monumental. Agreed. Agreed. I, I'm grateful to be on the team, and I'm grateful to be able to offer a, another piece. <laughs> so am I. Let me just, while we're on that topic, let's, let's see if Dr. Tim has any thoughts about that. Tim? Okay. Which one? Just the whole thought of what was happening with the mystics. I'm sure you've probably read some of those things where these people are living these tortured lives. Does that fit for you? Does that make sense for you? 
Yes, absolutely. And as you were talking, it was even making more sense. You know, for years in my studies and readings, I've heard about people who had these peak emotional experiences or enlightenment moments or gifts, whatever you want to call it, and then they end up living in a broken body. You know, car accidents that leave them in chronic pain, debilitating chronic diseases, you know, and and they just keep going. Mayor Baba and Krishnamurti and all these people, many, many that I've read about, um, oh, I forget the name of the book, but I read one recently where I talked about it a year or so ago on the show, and this uh, monk who was just, he worked in the kitchen and became enlightened. And there he was in the last years of his life, racked in pain and physical pain, and they would go to comfort him and he would say, no, no, I'm, I'm leave me here, I'm, I'm offering up my suffering. Yeah, let me just no, suffer. I, well, I'm doing it for God or whatever. So, yeah. and, and with the understanding that I've been building over the last 20 years or so, breaking out of the mold of thinking. I mean, I was raised in a Catholic tradition that had you, um, every time you were going through some kind of pain, we were told, offer it up for the poor souls in purgatory. Uh, literally. Stay there, suffer. You know, you're kneeling on the floor because there aren't any padded kneelers left, so you're kneeling on the floor and your knees are hurting, and it's, you know, 10, 15, 20 minutes into it, and there's pain shooting up your legs, and you're told just, you know, suffer it and, and offer it up for the poor souls in purgatory. So as I was listening to you talk about it, the little light bulbs are going on saying, you know what, I'll bet that's more the case, that this is a situation where people were, a lot of spiritual traditions say you can't storm the gates because my physical body in this moment doesn't have the vitality that could actually contain or survive experiencing the level of energy that it's ultimately capable of experiencing. It isn't vibrating at a high enough frequency. And when I get exposed to those higher level frequencies, if I'm not eating right, in good physical shape, in good mental and emotional shape, and armed with the tools to get rid of the energies that don't belong, all I'm going to experience is an intense activation of a lot of negative energies that don't belong in my system, which we call symptoms. And so that light bulb was going off for me that perhaps a lot of these people who have suffered and suffered in silence and been the great saints and martyrs because they tolerate so much with a smile or they suffer through it, perhaps there's another way. And I think it's great that, well, I, they, that they don't get negative about their symptoms. And at the same time, wouldn't it be wonderful if there was a way for them to actually process through the energy and be relieved of the symptoms? 
I think in that context of that story about offered up for the souls in purgatory, they'd probably be a whole lot happier and better off if we offered aliveness, joy, creativity than suffering, pain, and trauma. You know, it's just like the, the whole root of the idea of sympathy is suffer with somebody as opposed to being the space and holding the space of love. And I think that was Brother Lawrence that you were talking about that experienced his enlightenment while washing dishes. And, and yeah, if we can't process what needs to be processed, it's going to express in the battleground of the body. It's going to express symptomatically. So probably Gail has the answer as to exactly how long when somebody gets into the 12-step program they have to do their work to be cured, to be finished with it. Was it a year, two years, Gail? It took about two years to get through the steps the first time, but I continually work the rest of the steps every day. I, I work all the steps mean, every day. You mean in that first two years you, you weren't finished? No, I was not finished after I, two I years. I was, I was not cured. <laughs> <laughs> I was not cured at all. Come on, you've seen my, um, you know, my personal coach evaluation scores when I first met you. <laughs> no, I was I not finished. <laughs> <laughs> and there are people who, who have knocked me when they say, well, you've been doing this for 45 years and you're not finished yet? No, not finished yet. Well, there must be something wrong with this. No, no, it's called a process. And when you realize, and I forget exactly the number, but, you know, in, in 30 generations of your bloodline, if you sit down with a pen and paper, in 30 generations of your bloodline, there's over 1.7 billion people. 30 generations, 1.7 billion. You know, one yourself, one generation back to two generations, four, eight, 16, 32, 64, 128, 256, 512, 1,024. doesn't take long to get up to a billion, and that's how many there are in 30 generations. And that's what we're talking about, inviting people in to clean up, because that genetic structure that they used to say was junk, the part of the genes that was junk, and originally they were saying over 90% of our genes are junk, the DNA is junk. It's not junk, it's the most exquisite database that ever existed. It carries every thought, every feeling, every reality from every generation. And if your so-called body, your multi-generational database, your body is going to be a fit instrument with which you incarnate the active presence of love, then you're going to have to clean out of it what is which that which is unlike love. And you start thinking about, you know, the ignorance that in this modern, enlightened day and age we live in, you know, we still live in a world where in the last 75 years we've killed over 275 million people in war. Not much enlightenment there. You know, what do you suppose life was, life was like on most of the planet five generations ago, ten generations ago? When Genghis Khan stocked the earth, what do you suppose it was like? What do you suppose it would like when the Han dynasty was murdering off the, the competing dynasties? You know, it's, it's pretty amazing. Uh, when you think about that's born and bred in all of us, and to really, truly incarnate a human life, and for anybody who's new to the show, we have a simple definition for a human life, hold a newborn child, and you know exactly what a human life is. It is clearly this awesome active presence of love. And we are meant to inhabit this form our whole lives long as the active presence of love. 
And the only thing that will ever inhibit us from doing that is the generational content that never belonged in the human life in the first place. And to have the courage to face and clean up that database is quite a quite a piece of work. And uh, the the form of that work that we're tying in with the first century Aramaic forgiveness work. We spent the whole week. If you weren't on the show last week, we spent uh, all week on from Monday to Friday on the 12 step program, a program for cleaning up this multi generational database and coming out the other side as intact human beings. And I understand Magda has her hand up. Magda, do you have a comment for us on the 12-step program? Is Magda there? Oh, hi. Oh, hi. Hi there, young lady. Oh, Welcome. Hi there. Uh, I called in because you had talked to me the other day about calling in on Tuesday. This is Tuesday, right? Um, for no. um, the responsibility communication. Oh, actually, uh, it was Monday that we did the responsibility communication, and uh, we're we're carrying well, on I with the. I did hear uh, that. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> okay, then I misunderstood. Well, I thought you said Tuesday. Okay. But anyway, we are okay. going to pick it up again well, tomorrow. Um, so I ended up spending the whole hour yesterday. Day. I'm, I'm, you have Gail there right now, right? Right. We're going to pick up the responsibility communication again tomorrow. We didn't get through it yesterday, but we had, you know, uh, said, announced last week that we'd we'd do the responsibility communication yesterday and that we'd pick up the 12 step today. So, so if there's space tomorrow, it'd be awesome to hear from me because we're going to be back on responsibility communication. Great, I'll do that. I do have one little comment to add to what you've been saying about uh, being a martyr and, and putting up with the pain and offering it up and all of that. I was also brought up as a Catholic, so I understand those concepts. And I really love, uh, and I want to pass on what my friend Sunny, you met Sunny, what she yeah. says is, let me do everything, learn all my lessons, whatever I need to do with joy and ease. <laughs> and I'm yeah. going, yeah, that really is a great intention. So I um, just wanted to pass that on. And then I'll call back tomorrow, okay? Okay. Appreciate you. Blessings. Okay. Hi, Gail. Blessings, okay. everybody. Bye-bye. So, Gail, I'm going to turn it back over to you, young lady. Go for it. What do you have in yes, mind? Sir. Good to hear from you, Magda. <laughs> um, anyway, uh, what do I have on my mind? Uh, I wanted to offer, as long as we're on this topic of um, talking about the, the pain of the spiritual awakening and not being able to have the tools to um, go through this pain-free, is um, uh, Bill Wilson as well went through a lot of pain. He had a bright light spiritual experience, which enabled him to maintain sobriety or get sober. And he worked the rest of the tenants of um, the Oxford group um, that did not make him immune to working those tenants. And then he developed and then was a part of writing the book, Alcoholics Anonymous, and being a co-founder of this movement. He still suffered. And he talks quite a bit about his depression and um, he finally, I think about 22 years of sobriety, he got to a place of 
hey, I can work the steps on my depression as well. And so he started to do that and relieve himself of his depression. So there are modern-day sages as well that have suffered, and um, that puts a really good light on to people that I put on the pedestal, like Gary Hicks, who died of cancer, who I was in extreme judgment of this summer, and as well as um, the passing of Ron Roth, who is one of my other spiritual um, gurus that I, I have sought through. I thought both of their suffering I, I judged harshly, but now I understand um, why. Well, my you know, two things. One would be there is no pain or suffering in the spiritual experience or spiritual awakening. Uh, that's a misnomer. The spiritual awakening or the spiritual experience takes us to a level of vitality where we can't hide the suffering anymore. But it's not caused by or any inherent part of the suffering experience. Now, the, the non-being world has a rule that says no pain, no gain. Uh, my rule is no pain, no pain. And if there's pain there, then you're going to get to deal with it. And by being vitalized through the spiritual experience, you're going to have the vitality then to bring out of hiding that which you've been hiding from yourself. And my uh, experience of working with any kind of addiction is that the addictive substances and, and you know, in, in the work that I've developed in the 12-step, or pardon me, in the codependence, the interdependence workshop, we define addiction as the compulsive use of any person, place, substance, or activity to, one, not listen to or follow our higher guidance or the spiritual experience. That's one use for addictive substances. And the other one is to anesthetize pain. So the spiritual experience gives the vitality to start to access and, and dig out the garbage that never belonged. And, of course, as with the mystics we were talking about, if one doesn't know how and doesn't have the tools, if you don't have a shovel, it's going to be pretty tough to dig a deep well. And so if you've got a uh, power drill on a crane, you're going to dig a well pretty quickly. And the tools that, by and large, have been available have been pretty much, well, you know, we don't really know what's going on here, but here, tell you what, why don't you just go ahead and suffer and give it to God? God is love, and God will really enjoy your suffering. It's like, come on, give me an intermission here. That's insane. But it was the best explanation they had. First century and that forgiveness, what Yeshua came to offer people was a huge drilling rig <laughs> to dig that well, to drop down into the dissociated parts of the mind, bring them forward in the presence of love and process through them. You don't have to hang around in suffering for longer than you're unwilling to do your work. And the work is, and the suffering is caused by the content of carbon-based memory, not by God. People have made up a story that it's all God's fault. You know, God's going to punish you. And that's all just pure garbage made up by people who didn't know any better, who were ignorant and did not understand. And so as we undo ignorance and come to understand, oh, I have a tool. I can do something with this. And 
that's the whole idea of the process. Understood, and thank you for clarifying and tweaking that for me. Cool. Uh, cool. I will, how about I recap what we talked about last Let's week real quick, it. and we will continue sure, go on. For it. And okay. I think I, I think wanted to just, add that. Just... Go ahead. Go ahead. We've got a little bit of overlap here, so go ahead. I'll have some silent here. <laughs> I think um, doing the responsibility communication at this point um, is excellent because the next thing I was going to talk about is the men's process, which looks similar, believe it or not, to the responsibility communication. But I'll recap first, and we will move forward. Um, what we talked about last week are the steps. We got up to step seven on Friday. Um, with a little side note about what sarcasm really is, and thank you for that piece as well. <laughs> but anyway, um, step one, it basically is um, I can't think, or I can't drink and I can't think. It's a two-part step. And step two is about doing something different. Step three is a decision to finish the rest of the steps. Step four is writing down on a piece of paper what our thinking looks like, um, looking at um, how we put ourselves in a position to be hurt. Um, we address our resentment, fear, sex conduct, and harms to others in the fourth step. And step five, we admit the exact nature of our wrongs to God, to ourselves, and to another human being. And we talk about our thinking errors. And step six, we become willing to get rid of those thinking errors, which are called character defects in step six. And we ask ourselves this very simple question, are we ready to let go of everything that we see that is objectionable? Um, those are the things that we looked at in, in step four and talked about in step five. And in step seven, we give those things up to God. Um, it says we humbly ask God to remove our shortcomings. Character defects and shortcomings are, are similar. They're errors in thought. Um, if our aim is to be loving, and we are short on love, that is a shortcoming. Um, if our aim is to be tolerant and we are intolerant, that is a shortcoming because we're short on tolerance or we're short on patience or we're short on love. I wanted to also share our seventh-step prayer um, that is in the Big Book of Alcoholics Anonymous. It's a suggested prayer. It's a very... Um, and it's not prayer by the definition of to capture God. It is more of a request. Um, of God, and it goes like this. Um, our creator, I offer my, no, I'm sorry, that's the wrong one. Our creator, take me both good and bad. Take away from me every single defect of character that blocked me off from you and my fellows. Oh. And the rest of it is, um, grant me strength to do your bidding. And just a very simple, simple prayer, very powerful prayer. On some days, I don't know what a character de what character defects are blocking me off from God. And some days, a character defect can be a character asset. It just depends on how I use it. And so that prayer, I believe, is very perfect because it's asking me, asking God to take me both good and bad, and to take away everything that blocks me off. So I wanted to offer that. And with that offering, did, Perfect. did you have any did you have any comments at all until before we move on? Right to on, right on track. 
right on okay. track, and, track, and it ties right in with the step of, uh, you know, uh, 5B, where I ask Rika for support in opening the space to come back into conscious relationship with all dissociated content and clean it out, just exactly on track. Absolutely. Absolutely. Thank you for that. Um, eight, or what I said on Friday is that there's two coupling steps. There's six and seven. Um, six is we become willing. Seven is we do. Eight and nine are similar, ma- similarly matched up with that. With eight, we become willing, and nine, we do. And um, I love it when you talk about willingness being the cosmic grief. <laughs> grief. Grief. <laughs> And also when you mentioned that in in your book, Why Is This Happening to Me Again, I very much appreciated that discussion with about willingness as well. So I wanted to add that. Um, in step eight, what we do is we make a list of all people we have harmed and become willing to make amends to them all. That list of people that we have harmed comes out of our four step, um, mostly most likely all the people that I listed that I had resentments against, all the objects of fear, and also people that were on my sex conduct list and, and harms done to other lists will end up on my eight-step list. Um, it's an ongoing list. Sometimes I take people off the list after I make amends. Sometimes I add people to the list as I continue to act out of selfishness, self-centered fear, or non-being mind, as you say. Um, and so becoming willing to make amends to them all for me is to constantly pray for that willingness and I have willingness to make amends to every person on my list except for one (laughs) and that person would be my stepfather and um, in preparation for Thinking about what I'm going to say about this step, I started to do worksheets on him and to, because I'm getting to deeper and deeper realization that my resentment against him is harming me because I'm living with the chemistry in my own body. So that is a process in the making there. So any comments before I go to step nine? No, just nice catch on that one to recognize that the the original of it, you know, it's in my own form and that resentment is something I need to forgive, remove from myself. It's it's the key to the whole process. Uh, Does that mean that I have to approve of everything that anybody or everybody's ever done? No, not in the least. But it does mean that I, I am willing to remove literally my capacity for resentment, for anger, for hatred, for fear, so that I can stand in the space of love, maintain my human life, no matter what anybody else is doing. And then, of course, carry on with the work. Absolutely. Absolutely. Uh, step nine is... Um uh, made a, made direct amends to such people except when, wherever possible, would harm them or others. And this would be the case, one of the perfect examples would be to make amends to um, somebody that you cheated on because that would harm them. And it would also harm the person that you cheated on them with. And it talks extensively. Um, for instance, I had a really good friend that cheated on his wife 
and his brother by sleeping with his his brother's wife. He's not going to go to his brother and say, "Hey, I I slept with your wife." You know, but I'm really sorry <laughs> for doing that. Um, and, and also that that would have har- not only harmed his brother, it would have harmed his brother's wife as well. So that was that's one example. It talks extensively about uh, making amends in the big book of Alcoholics Anonymous. It's about timing. And it also says wherever possible. Um and the wording there opposed to whenever possible, saying wherever possible invites God into the process. It's, it's about prudent timing. It's about in, in inviting God into the process, not making amends out of ego or self-centered fear. And that's what I've done my whole life. I, I'm sorry. I'm sorry. <laughs> I'm sorry. I'd like to apologize for doing this. But my my behavior hasn't changed, and I believe that's why eight and nine are where eight and nine are that we need to change before we start to pursue the process of amends. Because I've apologized because I've had other things on my agenda um, to get something else out of somebody instead of being genuinely apologetic or wanting to make amends. And I also wanted to capitalize on the word amend instead of um apology or saying i'm sorry um the word amend to change the relationship as an amendment to the constitution changes the constitution or making amend in a piece of clothing changes the clothing or strengthens the clothing um, making an amend in a relationship changes the relationship and hopefully 99 percent of the time makes that relationship stronger so I believe that there is a process between steps one through eight that makes step nine possible and definitely with the the invite of God into that process and, and using one's intuition in order to, to make those amends. So any comments before I go into the wording um, that I've learned in, in, in the amends process? No, go for it, please. Okay. What I was taught, um, and most recently, once again, this is a skill set, kind of like step five is a skill set um, to listen to somebody else's fourth step um, and, and fifth step. It, uh, making amends is a process, and there were specific words that my current sponsor gave me. Um, I did a sponsorship change five years ago, and... Um, went back through the steps with her and she very much capitalized on on the words and and um which was a huge gift for me because I wasn't I'm one of those people that needs to be given the words and and to make those words my own and um the the main um words to focus on is when I make amends to people is the admittance of wrong I was wrong I regret um, is the other word. Instead of being I'm sorry or I apologize, um, expressing regret. Instead of having guilt, shame, and remorse, there's a difference between guilt, shame, and remorse and regret. I regret that I behaved this way or I regret the harm that I imposed upon you. And the next important idea to convey is 
how can I make this right? The the willingness to get right is very important. Um, letting go of the self justification and the reasons why I did it and, and and what they did in the mix and taking total and complete responsibility for what I did. So and and staying on my side of the street, so to speak. And um and that at that point in time, how can I make this right is an invitation to for me to listen to everything that they have to say to express their side of it and also to be given the opportunity to make that right and then from there um, negotiate on the best course of action to be taken to make it right. My my input there is that oftentimes I think this is a place where people try to figure it out and I consider that to be the number one pseudo solution of the non-being mind if I could just figure out and, and I think that a really powerful place to go in this step that you know that this work can can deliver to that step is to really truly be in the space of the love exchange where love is fully conscious active and present in one or both or whatever number of people are involved in it and that that active presence of love can make things right that in a million years a hurt mind could never figure out or never come up with. The the energetic dynamic of the miracle happens in that space when love is conscious, active, and present rather than it being, you know, a negotiation. It's just, to me, the effort to bring. This is the space to, it, it kind of ties in with step four of the of the worksheet of, I, I choose to, to tap into my newborn state, that active presence of love and function is that. And when I and you know, preferably the person I perhaps have a conflict with can bring that forward, it just opens doors that can't be fathomed by the intellect. Understood. Understood. Yeah. A lot of people think it's just about an apology, and I wanted to offer what I, I have learned with this step. Um, and it, the other thing that I wanted to offer, too, is when going through the worksheet in, in Florida, and um, I was like, where's the immense process in this? And And Joel turned around and said, the immense process is when we offer a goal to them in the seventh step and absolutely right and then when you did the responsibility communication process and Sarah did it with and I can't remember the name of the other girl that she did it with and we went through that sheet I saw the men's process throughout that sheet as well and most definitely I have used that um, to add to the immense process when I've been in a position to be able to, or I should say, the honor and ability to, um, okay, uh, opportunity to make amends to somebody else. That has definitely been something, um, it's been an added tool for sure. I think that um, both step four in the seven-step worksheet where I choose to 
tap in, when I bring forward that active presence of love, is a big part of the amends process. And the, to me, the word amends there means healing as well. That there's going to that, that there's going to be a a reorganization of my energy system, which will then source things in a higher way, and literally a reorganization of the energy system of the person interacting with. And when that reorganization occurs, oftentimes the thing that was the big deal, I mean, one of the most common comments that I get when people get to step 6C in the worksheet, and they, they're looking at how do, I, how do I see this situation I started out working with in step 1 now, and they're like, you know, I can't believe that my mind actually believed that that was such a big deal because it's silly now. But you watch somebody going into the front end of the forgiveness process or the front end of an amends process, and they're ready to tear somebody's eyes out over this issue. It's so emotionally charged for them. But they have no idea that they're ready to tear somebody's eyes out because of the emotion in themselves. And when they go through the forgiveness process and forgive, remove that emotion, all of a sudden they look back at that exact same thing. It's like, well, it was so silly to be upset about that. That's the, the healing process that to me is so powerful when I cancel my goal and I invite Ruka in to, to uh, rearrange the energy system. That's where the, the real power and the healing occurs. So I see both of those, that step four in the worksheet of bringing love present and then step seven where I create a loving goal that I'm willing to offer to them are both to be part of the immense process. And in between is the healing process that opens a space for both people. Agreed. Well okay. said. <laughs> cool. Yep, yep. All right. Well, anything else on step nine? I, I believe I'm complete on step nine, and I think that is, cool. it just goes along perfect with the responsibility communication that was brought forward yesterday, and I look forward to being able to hear what happens tomorrow on the show with the examples I think that you're going to have. You're going to have people call in for that. So um, we can continue the rest of the steps real quick. And Yeah, let's go for it. Step 10 is um, we continue to take personal inventory, and when we were wrong, promptly admitted it. Um, as you'd mentioned earlier, how long did it take you to go through the steps initially? Well, two years. Um, am I still making mistakes? Am I done? No, <laughs> I'm not done. And I, and I really appreciate the step and the fact that Bill Wilson had the, the intuition to include this step Um among, along with the, the six tenants to close the gaps for us alcoholics and for others as well because continue to make mistakes and and I need to look at those mistakes and one of the things that I learned um, from the Aramaic forgiveness process and one of the things that enables me to do a spot check inventory is doing anything or reacting to anything that is less than love, then it's on me. And and that enables me to get back into being the space of love and and to make corrections as quickly as possible. 
and there are directions in the big book about how to do step 10 and it's basically four through nine every single day um there are two schools of thought about that and um, some people think that it's four through nine every single day some people also think it it's one through nine every single day and quite frankly it doesn't matter just do it you know it is what is what my thoughts are and um but I have a tendency to lean towards the, the one through nine every single day thought process. And the reason why I say that is because of the writings in the 12 and 12, which is um, a book that was solely written by Bill Wilson 15 years after he got sober. And its intent was to introduce the 12 tradition. Um, he added uh, – he added essays about the steps to offer his experience 15 years later to to the big book. And he talks about extensively re- restraint of pen and tongue, you know, delay taking action before you get to that inventory process. And for me, you know, I, I need to take a step back before I react and realize that I am powerless over whatever is going on. Um, that my life is unmanageable because I, my thinking is, is an error and that I need to do something different in step two and I need to make a decision to, to go through with the rest of the steps and then to inventory that and, and, and talk about it to somebody else. If I, if I did do something wrong, when I figure out what I, what the exact nature of my wrongs was, when I do that spot check inventory or, or write something down on paper, and then to give those character defects up, well, and then to right whatever wrong that I did. So that is what step 10 is about. And then the fifth instruction that they give in, in the big book of Alcoholics Anonymous is about um, resolutely helping others. Is after we have, we have harmed somebody and have made amends, um, that we go out and, and help somebody else, help another alcoholic start thinking about it start thinking about other people so that is step 10 right right that's powerful and you know the invitation is always there to share the tools with others so that fits well with what we've developed in the uh in the wise is that to me again working for me as i look at the 10th step i think that the uh wake-up sheet the reality management wake-up uh, sheet is the perfect tool for the 10th step ongoing personal inventory and resolution of issues. So if somebody, you know, when we get people started on the uh, wake-up sheet, we usually suggest they do five a day for the first 40 days. And we've had people carry that tradition on in their lives for decades that they do. It's just part of their lives. Just like they wash their face every day, they wash their minds every day. And they go through the process of forgiveness, you know, five times a day every day and that's really going through the whole process and taking the inventory and then cleaning out whatever you find there and as one undoes block the truth new issues new perspectives show up and I, I, I notice there's a lot of focus on the word wrong there and I, I I like to help people to shift that focus a little bit to recognize that you know, the position that I'm in right now and what I did, what I did that seemed so wrong might actually be the thing that delivers me to healing. 
And so maybe it wasn't wrong, but it wasn't the highest and best choice at the moment. And and to put it in the category of, well, for my my true spiritual journey, living as an alive, awake, aware human being, perhaps this was a necessary step. There were certainly higher ways I could have done it. So maybe it was not right, but when I give it a uh, a categorical wrong, I can tend to lock myself into that pattern. And to me, the whole idea is to unlock myself from the patterns that don't su- su- support the expression of my true human life of aliveness, of joy, of creativity, and of love in my life, compassion. So the letting go of a little bit of the positive wrongs and, okay, so that wasn't the highest and best choice, so now I'm going to make a new choice. I'm going to clean that one up. I think opens a, a different quality of energetic space. Agreed. Cool. Cool. So we're at step 11 then. We've got two we're more steps. Step 11. Ten minutes. Yay. <laughs> okay. Five minutes apiece. Um, step, step 11 is we continue through prayer and meditation to improve our conscious contact with God as we understand God, praying only for knowledge of his will for us and the power to carry that out. Um, uh Bill Wilson gives three suggestions, I believe, in Step 11 in when he wrote the big book, and that was to have contact with God at night to, in reviewing our day and also have contact with God in the morning in order to um, to ask for guidance for our day and also in times of irritation or in question to stop, take a pause, and connect. Uh, one of the prayers that he suggests, um, he Bill Wilson knew that he was not a spiritual giant, and he was knew that he was walking on pretty thin ice with suggestions of spiritual direction to go in, and so he kept things very vague here. And I'm grateful that he did um, to allow others to grow in the direction that they see fit after they get to step eleven. And definitely I'm grateful that step 11 is where step 11 is because we need to make all these changes and, and 1 through 11, I mean 1 through 10, to clear clear the path um, in order to connect to God better. Um, I describe it when I talk to um, people that I um, sponsor is that we start out with maybe a black and white antenna TV connection going on. Um, like I remember only getting three channels in the 70s trying to watch Gilligan's Island and going to, after working the steps and continuing to work the steps, especially the inventory, we able to get to, you know, blue, Blu-ray, Dolby surround sound when it comes to having a connection with God. And, and we're able to allow God to direct our minds instead of self, self-centered um, fear directing our minds. And go ahead. I think a really important step in or, or piece to understand in that place is the first century Aramaic definition of the word prayer, and that is to set a trap for God, to be the space 
where love shows up. And I, I think that is, is so on target. You start the morning and you breathe and you step into that connected space of love. Before you go to sleep at night, the last thing you do is appreciation and step into that active space of love. And then it becomes a habit. And I can remember as a kid being told, there will come a time when your whole life will become a prayer. And at that time in my world, prayer was you're down on your hands and knees. And it's like the only thing I could imagine out of that was square knees. Mm-hmm. Where now I understand that what Yeshua was talking about is prayer. And if you listen to the Lord's Prayer, it's not a prayer. What people call the Lord's Prayer is not a prayer. It's an instruction on how to become the space where active love shows up in the world. So to get to the point where we're in constant contact with that active presence of love, to me, is the focus of the whole body of work in this step to live there 24-7, 365, ultimately. And, you know, that it just becomes the, the energetic space that we're plugged into continuously. And then to recognize the only thing that will unplug us from that space is our own hostility or fear. And so if somebody comes along that activates our hostility and fear, oops, there's my next piece of work. Oh, thank you, friend. Or what yesterday I might have called enemy for showing me that. I didn't know I had that in me. There's my next piece of work. There's the thing that inhibits me functioning as the space of love. And it just opens a whole different doorway. Agreed. Agreed, and thank you. One of the, one of the prayers, um, putting that in air quotes, that he suggests is the one by St. Francis of Assisi. Um, yes. Where where I sow hatred, help me to sow love. And I can't quote the rest of it right now, but... Um, where that, there's injury that pardon. The, yes. Yes, yeah. yes. And you know, so that is one of the suggested rec- prayers. Yeah. yeah, it's an awesome, powerful prayer. It's uh, it's powerfully spoken by St. Teresa in... or Mother Teresa in the uh, that movie that I was talking about earlier, The Letters. It's... Uh, she speaks it, and it's it's quite powerful in in her process and in her life. And to uh, to recognize that the whole process becomes that of doing our work, and it's a continuous, ongoing opening to deeper and deeper experiences of literally the presence of love in every cell of our structure so we're plugged into that continuously and of course once you do that the 12 steps kind of natural you're going to extend that to others absolutely a, a little side note people consider um pursuing their spiritual separate spiritual path to be their 11th step i consider um becoming uh, one of the first things that i did after i got to step 11 um, was to become a Reiki master he, teacher. That was a part a part of my 11th step process. And believe it or cool. not, that 11th step that that brought me to you. Um, the gentleman that introduced me to Reiki actually, I was doing a home daycare, and I had three moms that were like second level Reiki practitioners. So I thought that was a hint uh-huh. <laughs> that maybe this was something uh-huh. to pursue. So the gentleman that attuned me to Reiki 1 and Reiki 2 um, introduced me to Celebrating Life Ministries, which was a an organization that was started by Ron Roth, um, who was – he was a born healer. And um, 
from listening to Celebrating Life Ministries on a, a teleconference, I was introduced to Dale Allen Hoffman. <laughs> and from Dale Allen Hoffman, I was introduced to you. So I consider being a part of Celebrating Life Ministries, being a part of knowing Dale Allen Hoffman and being taught to do toning and, and Aramaic and and being introduced to um, what the the real words are and 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 the real meanings and and the possibilities of who Mary Magdalene was is um and Yeshua learning his true name and then being led to you and studying under you I consider all that to be a part of my 11 steps. Right. Cool. And then the next step and we're down to just the last minute or so of course okay. is to invite others invite others into the process, right? Yes, um, there's three parts to the 12 steps, and that is to have a spiritual awakening as a result of these steps is one of it. I feel like I have a spiritual awakening every day. The second part is to carry the message to others and to practice these principles in all of our affairs, to carry the message to others. And the AA terminology is to share experience, strength, and hope, to teach people how to work the steps to be a tour guide through the AA literature and to introduce them to God. That is the message. And to practice these principles in all of our affairs is to work the steps in every area of our life. Awesome. I think I did that under 30 se- or 60 seconds. <laughs> you did. You did. And so we are down to just the last few seconds. And much, much I am grateful for this opportunity. To, uh, yeah, we're going to uh, do a bit of a poll and decide what day of the week we're going to turn into uh, 